0: Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. And Eric, I know that for parents such as yourself, this is, in fact, the most wonderful time of the year. When your kids, whom you love with all your heart, we should emphasize away in a camp uh alas i believe that this week this weekend something like that it all comes crashing back down to earth so i'm very curious how are you planning on spending your final days of freedom aside of course from cranking up bob seeker and sliding across the floor in your tidy (laughs) right i'm glad that you mentioned that so i didn't have to uh yeah
0: hookers and blow kieran hookers and blow. ah there you go oh actually my, my wife is around all week so uh blow lots and lots of the white powder. That's uh that's what'll be No, seriously, I, I I do miss my kids. I'm I'm excited to have them back home. These seven week breaks from your kids I'd say they're great for about the first half of it, you know, three weeks, four weeks, and then the degree to which you're missing them starts to outweigh the enjoyment of the freedom mm. and the break from them. Uh, not to mention, my wife and I have completely run out
1: of things to talk about. <laughs> um, You've gone through your DVR watch lists, and
0: yeah, there, there's just uh, we we were driving out to a restaurant uh, on Saturday night, about a forty minute drive, and. Uh, you know, might have had like one conversation topic to start. And then, you know, fortunately, we're comfortable enough with each other. We can just sit right. there in silence. I don't really care. But yeah, I couldn't think of a single thing to talk about that we haven't already talked about. So um, and yeah, in terms of what I'm up to this final week of freedom, it will not be too exciting. No big plans watching lots of Phillies games, trying to find time for naps, no different really than any other <laughs> summer week. Uh, and I'm sorry if that answer disappoints you and you were hoping to hear about wild crazy parties, but uh, it shouldn't disappoint you. I, you. I do I do
1: know you. Exactly.
0: You know what, what my idea of a good time is.
1: So I must say, as somebody who was brought up in a, in a different culture, I had no idea that camp could be that long. I, I always just assumed it was like, send them off for a couple of weeks. I didn't know it, that it was like, you know, a a, bunch, a whole bunch of the summer. I, I, I didn't realize that.
0: So it, it totally varies, and uh, there were plenty. There are plenty of people raised in this culture who are shocked when we tell them our kids are gone okay. for seven weeks. I, it's a culture within the culture um, of largely Jewish summer camps. That, I see. Uh, tend to run for seven weeks and as many parents as possible send their kids to them um i was not quite raised this way uh we experimented with overnight camps when i was about 12 i did a two-week run for two summers and it wasn't for me because i missed my television yeah (laughs) that seems about right
1: do you ever watch that old HBO show Dream On? I feel like that's that's I, us. I missed
0: kids. I missed that one. I know of it, but I never watched
1: it. Yeah, kids who imprinted on TV at a very early age and, and never really got over it. But
0: yeah, I, I am I am definitely one of those people who considers myself all due respect to my parents, I consider myself mostly <laughs> raised by the television.
1: <laughs> there you go. And we turned out fine. Well there you go. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Better move on. Yes. Uh, this week on the podcast, we actually have plenty of fights to preview. You wouldn't believe it from all the banter we've just been uh, using up, but there you go. Uh, we're, we're kicking off a busy end of summer stretch now. Uh, we have cards to look ahead to on ESPN and Zone, and of course... Showtime. Also on this podcast, we're going to talk to one of the combatants on the Showtime card, Gary Antonio Russell. Uh, We've had his big brother, Gary Russell Jr., on a few times and we love him. Uh, We'll see if Antonio has a crack at becoming the podcast's favorite, Gary Russell. Uh, We will also look back at the just completed Olympics and I will reveal Eric's next top five challenge subject. Uh, But let's start with that Showtime triple header that's coming up on Saturday, August 14th. An all-bantamweight affair from the familiar environs of Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California,
0: IA. Indeed. Three fights, 618 pounders at what Moro Ronaldo calls the Punch Bowl. Showtime's fourth trip there in the last three months, and the previous three have not disappointed. The main event went through an unusual trajectory, just to get to this point. It's 40-year-old Guillermo Regandiao, still the lineal champion of the world at 122 pounds. His only loss came all the way up at 130 against Vasily Lomachenko, but he's back at 118 now and fighting for the first time in 18 months, taking on hard-punching John riel Casamero, who is riding a six-fight knockout streak. This fight was signed as the main event of this card— but then Nonito Donair stepped in and said he wanted to take on Casimero, and Rigondeau commendably agreed to step aside and move to the undercard. But then Casimero said things that deeply offended Donair, so Donair walked away, and suddenly Rigo versus Casimero was back <laughs> on. Uh, let's talk about Rigondeau, who is 20-1, 13 knockouts, one no contest. If he wins, he'll become the oldest fighter ever to claim a widely recognized alphabet belt at Bantamweight, and he's trying to become just the eighth fighter ever to win a major title past his 40th birthday in this Olympic season. We should note that the Cuban Rigo is a two-time gold medalist and one of the greatest Olympic boxers ever. And he's had an excellent pro career, although not always active and not always entertaining. So where do you see him fitting in now at age 40, Kieran? And if his career ended today, do you think Rigo is a Hall of Famer? And could the result against Casimiro impact his case?
1: So Bantamweight's one of those divisions that's just absolutely stacked and really deep uh, with talent. But I think even so, you know, based on his skills and on his resume, Rigondeau has to be near the top. I mean, I think he's just behind the guys like Inoue, Donaire, and Casemiro, the guys who have been battling for title belts, but ahead of the young up-and-comers like Gary Antonio Russell, uh, in the mix with the Nordino Balis of the world. Uh, the Transnational Boxing Rankings has him at number five, and that feels right to me, mm-hmm. uh, just, just right on in there. I don't personally think he's a Hall of Famer at this point. No, I don't. Um, and to some extent, that's his fault. Uh, he was on course for a while there. From March 2011 to December 2013, he went 6-0 and with three stoppages, Starting with a first round blowout of Willie Casey, including a sixth round TK of Rico Ramos. What happened to him? Um, then he had his career defining win over Nonito Donair, of course, and then a points win over Joseph Becco. It was a really good run. And if he'd kept up that kind of a caliber of run and that f- kind of frequency of fighting, then I think we probably would be talking about him as a Hall of Famer now. But he, he hasn't really scored a win remotely as memorable since. Um, that 20-month spell constituted almost one-third of his professional fights. You mentioned he's not always been terribly active. That doesn't mean he can't get into the hole. Um, You know, I think he probably still has quite enough about him that he could still go on a nice little bit of a late career run, a little bit like Donaire actually. Mm. Um, and I think a win over Casemiro would absolutely help. It wouldn't uh, clinch a, a his case, but it would definitely help uh, if he were able to show that, you know, even in his relative dotage, he's able to get wins over Good young opposition. I don't think losing to Casimiro would negatively impact his case, particularly um, simply because he is 40 right. and Casimiro is a good fighter. Uh, you know, it would just be considered, you know, one of those things that happens in, in a late career. But uh, a victory over Casimiro could certainly help his case. And I think if he were to do that and then maybe, we say, get one other solid win, maybe win a rematch with Donaire or something like that, that could get him into the hall, I think. Yeah. Um, we talked about Rigando's age. But Casimiro isn't especially young, Uh, and he also hasn't been particularly active, at least during the COVID uh, era, although he does have Rigondeau uh, beat on both those fronts. He's 32 years old, uh, and he last for 11 months ago, stopping Duke Mica in three rounds as part of the Charlo Twins double pay-per-view last year to elevate his record to 30-4 and with 21 KOs. You mentioned that knockout streak, six in a row, but this is a guy who rose from junior flyweight and flyweight, whereas Rigondeau has come back down in weight. So... Just how dangerous is the Filipinos' power in this fight? Um, Rigondiao said no mass against Lomachenko. Uh, lots of people during that period said no mass against yes. Lomachenko. Um, but he's never actually truly been knocked out. Does Casimiro have what it takes to be the first to do that?
0: I think he very well could. The, the combination of his power, which is legit, and Rigandiao's age make that a very real possibility to me. I pretty much discount the matter of Casimiro moving up and Rigo moving down. Mm-hmm. Casimiro yeah. has grown into a full bantamweight. He's not at all small for the weight, and yep. his results make clear that he has heavy hands. The Rigo moving down part would be concerning, but he looked fine in his bantamweight debut. Uh, yes, debut. His first pro it's fight amazing. at bantamweight after more than a decade as a pro. Uh, that was back in February 2020. So. I would presume this is not a Delahoya versus Pacquiao situation right. with him killing himself to get down to this weight. So ultimately for me size is pretty much a non-issue here, but slick 40-year-old fighters tend not to be as great at avoiding punches as they were yep. when they were younger. And Rigo has hit the canvas four times as a pro. And again, the the, the main focus here is that Casimiro can pop, no doubt about it. He has early power, uh, KO threes in each of his last two fights. The one against Solane Tete was eye opening. That's a quality fighter, and Casimiro blasted him good. Uh, mm. But he also has late power, KO ten and KO twelve in his previous two. What Casimiro doesn't have is experience against a boxer as good as Rigandiao, or at least as good as prime Rigandiao. Right. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see how frustrated he gets, to see if he can land, to see if Rigo engages at all, or just tries to stink it out. Um, it's a good clash of styles, and this is kind of a cliche, but this fight largely comes down to which fighter can impose his will and his style mm-hmm. on the other mm-hmm. guy. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's do things a bit out of order and talk about the opening bout next. Uh, The Olympic theme on this card continues as Rashe Warren, the only three-time Olympian in U.S. boxing history, takes on Damian Vasquez in a 10-rounder. Fans might remember Vasquez from his losing effort against Brandon Figueroa last September, uh, also part of that double Charlo pay-per-view. He's a Southpaw, 24 years old, 16-2-1 with eight knockouts, And he is the nephew of a guy named Israel Vasquez, who had a memorable fight or two at the (laughs) arena in Carson, California. Warren is also a Southpaw. He's now 34 years old. He's 18 and three with one no contest and just four knockouts. It's been more than six years since he's had a fight and inside the distance. What I find interesting about this matchup is what different points of their careers these fighters are at. Kieran is warren at that last chance stage of his run in boxing and could vasquez learn from his tough loss to figueroa and get better and and still have a high ceiling
1: so to answer the warren question first yeah i think he might be not least simply because of his age i don't think he's really shown a great deal of sign of decline at all but um you know he's a classy boxer he's a nice guy we had a great interview Mm -hmm. with him on media row a couple years ago um and he has he has a fun style he's he's fast he throws combinations he's got defense um but even though he's willing to stand in the pocket he he just doesn't have any power at all and and you figure that really does hurt him in the paid ranks in terms of you know getting him tv time getting him opportunities um especially if you need that to be a difference maker uh, at 34 years old even without that great sign of decline if he's going to make one more run he needs to make it now um is he going to start against Vasquez? I have a little bit of a trouble figuring out what I'd make of Vasquez. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, you'd hope he would indeed learn from his outing against Figueroa. But I would think the people who really need to learn the most are his corner team, who left him in there for far too long in that yeah. fight. I remember us talking about that, that, he, that fight could have been stopped several rounds earlier. And you hope that, you know, uh, uh, taking those extra few rounds of beating from a guy like Brandon Figueroa doesn't impact you negatively. Um He's had one fight since then. It isn't listed on BoxRec. But it was just a month ago in Mexico against an opponent who was 2, 20, and 2. Mm. Um, he won, but it went the distance, even though the guy had been stopped 12 times out of his 20 defeats. Um, that might speak to the issue here with Vasquez. You, you, you asked about his ceiling. I don't know how high that ceiling is. Um, can he learn from the Figueroa loss? Yes. Is he good enough to take on board all the lessons to be learned, I don't know. I I still think that maybe, despite his age, um, Warren is the classier and, and better boxer here, I think, out of the two. Okay. All right. For purposes of transitioning into our interview segment, we've saved the middle bout on the card for last. It pits Gary Antonio Russell, younger brother of 2008 U.S. Olympian, Miss Gary Russell Jr., an older brother of 2016 U.S. Olympian Gary Antoine Russell against surely his toughest foe yet, Emmanuel Rodriguez of Puerto Rico. Uh, Rodriguez is 29 years old, has a record of 19-2 and 2 with 12 KOs, and is considered one of the best fighters in the bantamweight division, despite being on a two-fight losing streak. But not all two-fight losing streaks are <laughs> the same. Uh, his most recent fight was against Raymart Caballo on Showtime in December, and both of us, as well as Steve Farhood, Thought Rodriguez won clearly, not like a, oh, just about nicked it ov- over the distance, but like 118-110 won. But somehow Gabayo won a split decision. Uh, and before that, he got stopped in two rounds by Naoya the Monster in no way, which is forgivable. Uh, Russell, meanwhile, is 28. He sports a record of 18-0 and and 12 KOs. And in his last fight, on the same card as Rodriguez Gabayo, he won a technical decision over Juan Carlos Payano, fighting with a very heavy heart. Uh, just 10 days after the death of his younger brother, Gary Darik Russell. Uh, Eric, what did you see in those respective last fights on that same Showtime card that informs you about how Russell and Rodriguez might match up with each other? I think we got more
0: information about Rodriguez on that card. Uh, We saw a good, skilled boxer with a strong jab who, other than jabbing, doesn't want to take the lead. He likes to sit Mm -hmm. back and counter. He was very passive, very defensive in that fight. He let Gabayo back into it in the second half to an extent. He still got absolutely hosed. Uh, There's no world in which he won fewer than seven (laughs) rounds, Um, but he's a fighter who doesn't want to engage. He just wants to box from distance as much as possible. um, Unless losing that decision awakens something in him and makes Mm -hmm. him feel like he needs to be more aggressive in the future in order to win rounds on judges scorecards. Russell, I don't feel we learned as much about him. Paiano forced an ugly, mauling style on him in that fight, and it was all Russell could do to occasionally get some space and show what he could do. Plus, Russell was obviously not in the best headspace. His Mm -hmm. brother had just died. Because of a combination of that and Paiano's style, he didn't really show much of what he could do. He has a good jab. He's very fast. He is a Russell, after all. Uh, (laughs) And he'll go to the body. Uh, That's important. And and he fights out of a southpaw stance, which could be to his advantage because Rodriguez has only faced one southpaw in the past eight years. So in terms of the way they match up with each other, I see them both wanting to work behind the jab, build off the jab, and it'll largely come down to which fighter is more willing to open up and force the fight. My hunch is that will be Russell. I think he's more likely to go for it, to flash those fast hands and try to hurt Rodriguez. And if I'm right about that, then the question is whether it works to his advantage or Rodriguez makes him pay for it. Very interesting matchup here.
1: Yeah, I agreed. All right, well, our guest this week, he is indeed one of those two fighters. Uh, he's one of a trio of boxing brothers who, between them, sport a combined record of 63-1 and one with 44 KOs. And he personally boasts 18 of those wins and 12 of those KOs. Um, we last saw him in action, as we just discussed, scoring that technical decision win over Paiano. Um, he will be in the ring on Saturday against the equally tough Rodriguez. He is, of course, bantamweight contender Gary Antonio Russell. Antonio, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Showtime Boxing Podcast.
2: Ah, thank you for having me.
1: I have to tell you, Antonio,
0: Kieran and I have grown very fond of your older brother, Gary Jr. We, we've interviewed him a few times and found him to be extremely personable. So I found it interesting to read a quote from you where you describe yourself as the antisocial brother. <laughs> um, in, in what way? Are are you shy? Do you just not love talking? Are you annoyed that somebody signed you up to do this interview with us right now?
2: <laughs> uh, no, no. Honestly, uh, I've always been antisocial because I felt as though I was just so different than my peers. though I was a little mm. more advanced than my peers, so I never got a chance to really have a whole lot of friends coming up. Uh Always stayed to myself in school. I went to different schools as my uh brothers coming up and everything, so I never really wanted friends. So mm. I guess I started to become antisocial. A lot of people would not never really know too much about me or ever got a chance to really get to know me. Hmm,
0: interesting. Well, you certainly seem uh, friendly enough in the two minutes or so that, that we've gotten to know you. Um, <laughs> would you say, though, that like Gary Jr. definitely has struck us uh, as very extroverted? Is is he the most outgoing and and talkative uh, of the bunch of you?
2: No, he is not. Oh, <laughs> uh, trust me, he is not. Uh, my younger brother, uh, Derrick Russell, that recently just passed. <laughs> He definitely was the one he was the most outgoing, the one everyone would remember his energy brightens up the room. So, no, Gary Russell Jr. was not. <laughs> <laughs> OK,
0: and and of course, uh, belated condolences uh, from from us uh, on, on your brother's passing. We were all uh, incredibly saddened to hear about that.
2: Yeah, I thank you. I thank you.
1: Um, you are scheduled, as we mentioned, on August four- 14th to face Emmanuel Rodriguez. And that's your second fight in a row against a world-class opponent. Um, he's coming off two losses, but that's kind of deceiving, right? Since one was against Naoya Inoue and the other was really a bad decision against Reymar Gabayo. Um, how yeah. tough of an opponent
2: do you perceive him
1: to be for you right now?
2: Uh, I feel as though he's going to be a real tough opponent. You know, he's an ex-champion. I feel as though he's going to fight hard. Uh, he wants. To, he know what it's like to be a champion. He know what it's like to get into that position. And I believe he's hungry. I believe he's wanted back. Mm. He he wanted to be back on top again. So I mm. expect him to be a a tough opponent. Mm. I've I've read that you you
1: said that you don't actually watch a lot of boxing yourself. I, I, and if, I'm curious whether you've watched any t-
2: studied any tape of him at all. Oh yes, we uh definitely have watched footage of him. Uh, we watched the anyway fight in which. I couldn't really gauge too much right. of it, short fight. Uh, I actually fought on the card. When I fought Paiano, he was the main event on that card, so I actually got to watch him then. Hmm. Uh, and I watched uh, another fight. I forget the guy he he fought, but I just recently uh, watched that probably about two weeks ago. Okay. Uh, he's a good opponent. He, he's got decent hand speed. Uh, he has decent puncher power. He has a good ring IQ. You know, he knows his way around the ring. He, he's a solid opponent. All right. And, and you mentioned uh, that you fought on the same card as him
0: and, and that you on that card, you took on Juan Carlos Payano and you won by technical decision. It was an ugly fight. Payano was determined to, to make it rough and seemed like he didn't want to let you show uh, the, what you could do. Um, how do you how did you feel about your performance in that fight?
2: Honestly, guys, uh my performance in that fight, I actually only looked at the fight one more time. I only, mm-hmm. actually only looked at it once ever. Okay. You know, going into that fight, mentally, I know I was somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, Like, y'all just gave y'all condolences to my younger brother, but my younger brother actually passed that Monday, that week yeah. in which I actually had to compete. Uh, I sucked it up. I fought, a lot of people told me I shouldn't have Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I feel like Mentally, uh, it took a lot From my performance Just dealing with that So I didn't get to, you know, broadcast All of my talent, not taking away Anything from Payano He was definitely a rugged Veteran, you know He knew how to make the fight ugly He felt as though he was going to have to make the fight ugly And I take my head off to him know, I just feel like uh if i haven't didn't have to deal with the adversities of losing my brother i probably could have oh i know i would have performed a lot better than what i displayed you know also i'm not using that my brother passing as a crutch to you know say why my performance was low in my opinion you know but in most cases situations like that it does do something to a person of
0: course right right absolutely i mean it's it's certainly impressive that you were able to perform well enough to, to get the win at all against a good like opponent like that under those circumstances. Um, do, how important it was taking on an opponent like Paiano, even though you know you weren't at your best, to go through that six tough rounds with him, six kind of ugly rounds with him. How important is that in making you feel ready for Rodriguez?
2: Uh, I know what I'm capable of as a fighter. You know, they tell you you're good as your last performance. Uh, I agree. That's all the person can go off of. Hmm. Uh, However, I'm in a better mental place. I haven't accepted my brother passing, but I'm learning to deal with it. Um, So with that being said, you know, I feel as though I'm going to perform a lot better come this fight. Mentally, I'm in a better place. Physically, I'm in great shape. I just feel good about this fight altogether. Hmm.
0: And and that's interesting that you comment on how perception-wise a fighter is only as good as his last fight. It's a bit of a cliche, but it's often true. So are you that much more motivated to really give your best possible performance against Rodriguez because you're coming off this performance that you're not satisfied with?
2: Um, It has nothing to do with me wanting to do better. Just me as a fighter, I always want to perform, you know? Yep. Just me always want to perform great. I just felt as though like going into that fight, man, I don't know where I was at mentally. I, I knew I wasn't going to lose. I knew I had enough gut, enough willpower, and enough belief in myself that no matter how ugly this fight has gotten, I wasn't going to walk away with a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I pushed myself and I willed myself. I told my dad if the fight, when it got stopped due to technical reasons, eventually I would have stopped him on my own. I thought I would have stopped him on my own. Just my willpower for that fight was to keep going. That's that's all I knew was just to not back down, you know. Uh, it was a, it was just tough for me overall. Like, I cried going into the ring. I had to hurry up and fix it. After the fight, uh, I completely broke down after the fight. I was like, I just want to go home. Mm-hmm. The whole time I'm up there, I'm picking out my brother's funeral clothes and caskets and, and everything, you know. So, like, people don't know the behind the stage and everything that me and my my family dealt with, you know, going into that fight and we held it. We held it together well, I guess. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, anyone who's been through any kind of grief knows how difficult it is to just do day-to-day functions, let alone something like what you were doing. So, um, yeah, certainly uh, understand that situation. Um, But spinning it forward so obviously you want to do very well against rodriguez if you beat him it is indeed your second big world-class opponent that you'll have beaten in a row that kind of puts you on a fast track and and i'm kind of curious about whether there's a name after this that you have uh in mind somebody you really want to gun for when you get back if you get past rodriguez
2: really uh I'm looking at the champion of the fight uh, ahead of me. The main event on the card that we fighting on. uh, Reagan Dow and uh, John Casimero,
1: if Mm -hmm. I'm pronouncing
2: his name right. I would actually, in my opinion, though, honestly, if I could line them up the way I would want them, if I could line the fighters up the way I want them, it would definitely be John Casimero. It would be him first. Then I would probably want to fight Donito De Nair, Then Reagan dial, And then Anyway. Wow.
1: <laughs> that, that, that would be quite the lineup. You get through those, you're doing pretty well. If you get through those, you're yeah. in the Hall of Fame, I think. But you are in the Hall of Fame, yeah, for sure.
2: <laughs> uh, honestly, I, I believe I can do it. I yeah. believe I can do it. Nice. I know I can, actually. Right. And I say that very, very humbly. I say that mm-hmm. very humbly. And actually, two of the guys in which I've mentioned are actually in my top five best fighters. <laughs> my top oh, really? five, okay. yeah, my top five favorite, which is huh. Reagan Dow and Anyway. Right. Hmm.
1: Two very different fighters.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I like them both for different reasons. Okay. Hmm. Interesting.
0: So I so I presume then that uh, after your fight is is over, uh, you're gonna try and find a good seat to watch uh, the Rigandow Casamero fight.
2: Honestly, uh, I probably don't. Okay, no? <laughs> probably don't. you'll be done. I probably don't. Not not because I'm not a fan of them, but I've been putting in so much grind and to myself for this fight. I'm gonna just want to go home and eat some ice cream. <laughs> <or something. laughs> <laughs> and lay down with my babies and just yeah. chill i catch the fight on tv it, it, i'm sure my parents are going to record it so once i get back home you know celebrate my victory god willing i come out un- uncleaved, no injuries i could just sit back relax at home my butter pecan ice cream <laughs> <laughs> and, and just watch the fight and study it we'd go from there OK,
0: understandable. All right. Um, so one thing about you as a fighter is that you fight as a southpaw, but you're a natural righty. I'm curious, yeah. how did you how did you come to adopt the southpaw stance and, and what advantages do you feel it gives you? All
2: right, I'm going to give you a quick story on how this happens. OK. I was a basketball player first. I kept coming to the gym every day, taking up space. So my dad said, if you come to the gym today, you got to box some more. So I get in there, I put on some gloves. I'm trying to hurry up and box so I can go play basketball. So one of the coaches was like, what hand you right with? I say, I'm right-handed. He's okay, well, you got to lead with your left hand in front of you. So I get in there with this guy. He's throwing punches at me and I'm slipping and I'm not throwing anything. And I just did not feel comfortable that way. So in the middle of the sponsor, session, I just turned and I just started giving this kid everything that he asked for. So from that moment, I just stuck with it. I just stuck wow. with it. <laughs> huh. that's, that's
0: fascinating that, that, that the, the southpaw stance just felt right for you. Do you, does it, do you feel like offensively your, your right hand is your power hand, that your, your right jab and your right hook are, are your most uh, effective punches?
2: Um, no, I feel like my jab is one of my most effective punches. You know, it sets up everything that I want to do and it offsets anything a person tries to do. Uh, as far as my hook and everything, uh, I could develop a power on them really good. Uh, I don't feel as though I have a hand that I favor more than the other or that I believe in more than the other. I just believe that I could make both of them work uh, with the right style and in the right situation. Gotcha.
1: All right, final topic for you. Uh, With the Olympics wrapping up now, uh, you've got two brothers who represented the U.S. in the Olympics, and you had a great amateur career, but you turned pro in 2015. You didn't wait for the 2016 Games. Were the Olympics just not as important to you, or was it just a question of the timing not quite working out and you were just ready to go
2: pro? Honestly, it was just – it was the timing. It was the timing. I tried in the 2012 – for 2012 in which uh, I didn't even get to compete in the uh, the trials or anything because I tore my rotator cuff mm. and I had to sit out for a year. Mm. Uh, some of the guys lost and they reopened this tournament called the last chance in which the ones who did all the spots that did not qualify, they opened the tournament for anybody else, all comers to try to fill in them spots. Since Jojo Diaz, for the champion that my my older brother fought, he uh locked in his spot at one twenty three. Rashi won, locked in his spot at for one fourteen, and I believe Earl Spence locked his spot in at fifty two. Mm. Um, I had no choice but to move up to one thirty two and try it, which I was too small, of course, but I still had a great run. Everybody I've beat in the tournament, I beat them by at least fifteen points or more. The only guy. That I the well, the guy who did beat me in that tournament, which was a one point controversial decision, was against, I think he was a former Olympian, Raynell Williams. Oh, yeah. So I lost to Raynell Williams in that tournament. Uh, I think Jose Ramirez mm-hmm. went on to win the whole entire thing. And after that, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just allow my body to actually heal and then I'll turn pro.
1: Oh, okay. Um, so how motivated are you and your brothers to achieve greatness together in the pro ranks? Is it important for you guys to go down as one of boxing's best families?
2: Honestly, I can't speak for the rest of my bros. You know, we all brothers. We share the same name, but I believe we all share different dreams as well. Mm-hmm. So I am gonna speak for myself. Me, I'm very motivated for it to happen. I'm very motivated to see three American brothers hold the title. I know it's never been done, and I feel like it'd be something great for our country, for our family, and as well for the sport. You know, that's a dynasty in which I would love to pass down to my children. If I ever have grandchildren who will want to compete and want to fight, you know, they could keep this legacy going. So for me, I'm very motivated for it to happen. I would love to see that happen. Awesome.
1: Hey, look, Antonio, it has been an absolute joy talking to you. Thank you so very much for putting some time aside. Thank you for joining us and hopefully you'll join us again on the Showtime Boxing Podcast in the future.
2: Of course I will. Of course I will. <laughs> as long as y'all really want me. As long as absolute. y'all really want We, we, de- we definitely would. do.
0: This is this is this is two Russell brothers now that we've interviewed that we uh, thoroughly enjoyed interviewing. So e- yeah. e- either yeah. of you and I don't mean to I don't mean to uh, count uh, Antoine out. We just haven't interviewed him yet. But <laughs> any of the two we have interviewed are welcome back anytime.
2: Anytime. man. I definitely appreciate you. And I enjoyed this interview as well.
1: Thanks very much, hey. man. And all the best uh, on the 14th.
2: Man, thank you.
1: That was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. What a great guy. Uh, there is something about that family. Um, <laughs> very, very likable people. Uh, and Antoine, if you're listening and you're thinking about coming on the podcast, you got some work to do if you're going <laughs> to get up there to be even our equal favorite Russell brother. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh, really, I hope we get a chance to, to talk to any of them again uh, in the future on this podcast. All right. Let's make our predictions for this triple header. I recently retook the lead. I am up 48, 47. You have me just where you want me. I (laughs) will start with the, we will start with the fighter we just spoke with. Eric, you're up first. Uh, What is your pick for Gary Antonio Russell versus Emmanuel
0: Rodriguez? So Antonio insists we didn't see the best of him against Paiano, and I tend to believe him on that. Rodriguez has the edge in experience, but I think the physical advantages go to Russell. His hands appear faster. I think he hits slightly harder. Look, you can't go too wrong betting on the talent of one of the Russell brothers. Right. And I think he knows the clock is ticking at age 28. It's time to start making his move. You can see it based on the matchmaking these last couple fights. I think he's hungry. And so I think if he gets Rodriguez hurt, we're going to see Russell really take it to him. I wouldn't be shocked by any outcome here. And that's true mm-hmm. of this whole card. There, There isn't a single fight where the winner is truly yeah. easy to pick. But my sense is that Russell's talent will separate him. He'll maybe hurt Rodriguez with a body shot, and then he'll finish him. I'm saying Russell KO8.
1: Okay. Uh, this is a big step up for Russell. You know, fi- prior to facing Payano, his previous opponent, had 10 losses the one before that had 25 losses before that eight before that 12 russell simply hasn't been swimming in the adult end of the pool for very long at all but like you said even though we did not see the best of him when he did take that step up and it was ugly at times it was inconclusive like you said he was winning the fight when it was stopped he was winning it just days after the death of his brother, and it was clear from talking to him. And I hope we were able to handle that part of the interview well and sensitively, because it's clear that even now it, it still, mm-hmm. is, you know, affects him. Um, I have to feel like you said. I, I think the Russell is coming with everything he has here. I think with extra focus and motivation, will that be enough? Look, Rodriguez is good. We know that, and he's got names like Paul Butler and Jason Maloney on his resume, so we so we know he's legit good, but. As you touched on, you know, sort of lost in the controversy of the Gabayo fight, the fight itself was pretty forgettable. Um, Yes, Portugal should have won by Country Miles, but he was boring and unadventurous against someone who really didn't seem to be in his class. And certainly I don't think he's in the class of Russell. I I could see this fight being fairly competitive early. Like you said, as they're trying to sort each other out a little bit, we might have a couple of counter punchers trying to counter each other early on, but I do think it will be Russell who start, who gets into a groove, who starts with the initiative. And I think his speed, uh, I I think his combinations, uh, I, I think everything will just prove to be that much too good for Rodriguez. I think I have a feeling that this is going to be one of those I-have-arrived moments mm-hmm. um, for, for Gary Antonio Russell. I think he'll increasingly dominate, and I don't think by the end Rodriguez will, will have much answer. I have also picked a Russell stoppage. I'm giving Rodriguez an extra couple rounds. Tenth-round stoppage for me for Gary Antonio Russell. Okay. Um I am not picking a stoppage in the Komaine. Uh, <laughs> n- <laughs> neither Vasquez nor Warren are exactly power punches, as we've noted. Um, And it was interesting before I really sat down to think about this. My initial assumption going in was that Warren's race is run and that he might be entering the getting knocked off by younger fighters phase of his career. And that may be true, but there hasn't really been much sign of, of decline, as I mentioned earlier. And even if there were, I don't know that Vasquez is the guy to get it done. I know he's boxing royalty and all, but I just don't see that X factor in him. Plus, as you noted, he struggles with southpaws. Um, he's faced two southpaws and a switch hitter in his last five fights, and he's gone 0-2-1 against them. And the draw was against Jose Morales, who entered the ring 9-10-3. So aside from his age, I don't think there are any real signs that Warren is running out of time. I just think he's too good here, and I think he actually puts on quite an entertaining display on en route to a wide, unanimous decision win.
0: Yeah, all right. We have pretty much the same view on this. My first instinct was to say... You know, Warren's getting older, he's had a lot of fights, maybe he's slowing down enough to lose to a B-level fighter like Vasquez, but then I looked back at that Figueroa fight, and as you mentioned, the punishment that Vasquez took, I, I wow. have forgotten about the way that that fight ended and how it should have ended sooner, uh, but looking mm. back on it, he really took a beating late in that fight. I know he's young, and so he can bounce back, but I wonder if that's the kind of loss that helps end your prime early. Look, Rushy Warren would probably be my pick anyway, but that just makes it a little more clear to me. Um, but as you said, a stoppage, highly, highly unlikely. <laughs> yeah. So I'm also going with Warren by unanimous decision. Maybe not a total wipeout. Maybe right. Vasquez gets two or three rounds, but still fairly clear cut in Warren's favor. And now for the main event, Rigondiao and Casimiro. And man, this is just so hard to call in terms of knowing how much Rigo has left. Yeah, Prime Rigo, just about toys with Casimiro. Um, the Rigo who had to dig deep to beat Julio Seja a couple of years ago, I don't know. Uh, I, I just don't know what to expect at age 40. But I kind of think the old man might have one more elite boxing performance in him. And I think he could frustrate Casimiro and get him way off his game. I could look foolish here. You know, Rigo could show up looking totally washed, but. I'm going to say he ties Casimiro in knots, weathers a few storms and survives down the stretch to win a tight, hard to score majority decision.
1: Okay. Uh, like yourself, I struggled with this. Um, the secrets, as I say, of all great comedy is timing and the secret, or one of the secrets of great matchmaking is timing too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think like you, this could be, that could be the issue here. Um, I've, I don't know why, but I've proved stubbornly resistant to really warming up to Casemiro and giving him his full due. And I I think that's clearly a failing of mine rather than his. Um, I keep expecting him to get knocked off, even though he's busy knocking people out. Like you said, once upon a time, I would have picked Rigando to... Eat Casemiro for breakfast. Um, but now that he's just a smidge slower, I'm not sure he still has that capacity. And the thing about Casemiro is it's relentless. He's not one of those guys who comes at you with everything for four rounds and then runs out of ideas. He he keeps coming. You already mentioned that he scored recently a 10th round knockout, a 12th-round knockout. That I think might be a factor here. If he was just all crude but explosive for a few rounds, I think we might see something different. The fact that he has the energy and the power and the skills to just keep going. I think against a 40 year old Guillermo Rigandiao will make the difference here. Uh, I think you'll struggle with Rigo early, actually. It'll, it'll, I think Rigo's best rounds are going to come early. Uh, but I think Casimir is just going to keep coming. He's going to gradually reel him in. And I think the last few rounds will be when he makes the difference and just he just is able to keep coming and, and Rigandiao isn't able to fight him off. But it will be close, and especially the early rounds will make for some difficult scorecards. I'm going to say Casamero, but by split decision. Okay, this uh, could be one of
0: those fights we look back on at the end of the year if it's a one- or two-point contest between us that this swing of us going opposite ways on a really tough-to-call fight makes all the difference. Indeed so. All right, we have uh, two other noteworthy televised main events on Saturday that are worth discussing for a moment on DAZN one of the most promising rising stars in boxing. Undefeated welterweight Virgil Ortiz Jr. meets once-beaten Aegis Mean Machine Kavalowskis in Frisco, Texas. And on ESPN from Tulsa, Oklahoma, we mentioned last week the all-female international broadcast team for this card, but we should talk a bit about the fighters in the main event. It's the third bout between junior bantamweights Joshua Franco and Andrew Maloney. Franco won their first fight by mild upset decision, Then the rematch was a highly controversial no contest with Maloney seemingly on his way to getting revenge. But the Nevada Commission couldn't get the call right, (laughs) even after using instant replay. Uh, Kieran, quick thoughts on either of these matchups?
1: Oh, both great matchups. I'm very interested in Ortiz Kowalowskis. You mentioned the Kowalowskis is once beaten. Of course, that one defeat came at the hands of Terence Crawford. Um, And yeah, look, he he won maybe one or two, uh, eight completed rounds before Crawford stopped him. But Ortiz has a yardstick here. If he can go out there and beat Kavalowskis even remotely as well as Crawford, let alone even more impressively, he's laying down a very significant marker. He's going to prove, I think, definitively that he's not just this up-and-coming guy with potential, but that he is absolutely in the mix now as one of the very top welterweights. Um, And, of course everything about this franco maloney rivalry has been entertaining and eventful and close and controversial and alluring and alliterative and <laughs> um I, I just i see no reason for this to be any different you you would give the edge to maloney going in um given that he was a slight favorite before the first bout and appeared to be on his way to winning the second but some rivalries you just don't know quite what to expect one rather suspects we we may not be done with surprises yet Yeah, I'm just glad that this fight is happening.
0: It would have been wrong if Maloney hadn't gotten one more crack at avenging that defeat. So I'm glad they managed to put this one together. And Ortiz and Mean Machine, I think we're going to see a real statement from Virgil Ortiz here. I think Kavalowskis' modest success against Terence Crawford was kind of fluky. You know, he was motivated and brought his absolute A game. And at the same time, it wasn't the first time Crawford lost a round or two to a lesser opponent before getting warmed up. I expect Ortiz to take him out more easily than Crawford did and really get people talking. Yeah. Speaking of getting people talking or communicating <laughs> in some form, it's time for the Tweet of the Week. Nice. Kind of a mediocre nice. transition. <laughs> it'll know. do. It'll All do. right. Well, to get an it'll do from the king of the segues, uh, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, so anyway, my turn to pick Tweet of the Week. And uh, I ask first, Kieran, are you familiar with Ebony Bridges, a.k.a. the I Blonde Bomber? Okay. I'm right. You know, she is. In case anyone in our audience does not, she's a boxer from Australia. Let's just say she has certain assets and she's not above objectifying herself to get some attention. Right. Um, she fought on the matchroom boxing card over the weekend and at the weigh in, she stripped down to a leopard print bikini. And there was a very funny photo of Eddie Hearn standing on the stage, very intentionally staring up at the ceiling, (laughs) trying to avoid all temptation to sneak a peek. Uh, He's a married man. He's trying to keep out of trouble. Uh, Well, Ebony Bridges shared the photo on Twitter and wrote, best meme wins, encouraging her followers to have some fun with it. So I scrolled scrolled through those responses and Uh There were several jokes about Eddie trying to think unsexy thoughts, Um, but (laughs) I think my favorite the tweet of the week was from Dean Reeves at Dean underscore Reeves. He just did an amateur Photoshop job with it and inserted a mirror up above that Eddie was looking at, (laughs) and another mirror down below Ebony from behind, so it looks like he's catching a reflection off a reflection of the back of her thong. Uh, And then a a runner-up here. um, You know, of course, that extremely popular meme of the guy looking at the girl, passing him by, and his girlfriend giving him a nasty glare. Well, uh, at Maddie Brimage did that meme and labeled the guy Eddie Hearn the girlfriend giving him a nasty look ebony bridges and the girl he's looking at was labeled the ceiling solid runner up there
1: (laughs) nice nice uh i have to say i uh from what i've seen of ebony bridges i i like her she seems like a great personality um and yeah she absolutely knows uh how she's able to sell herself and and what Mm -hmm. the initial attraction is but as she showed against shannon courtney she's tough Mm -hmm. like You know, she can get in there and and she can dig deep and fight. Uh, But she seems actually a really terrific character Uh, and pretty great for women's boxing, I think. Mm -hmm. But that's great. I do like those. I do like those memes. Good. All right. Let's talk for a moment about this past week's fight action. Uh, There wasn't much, at least in the professional ranks, on Tuesday. Heavyweight contender Michael Hunter stopped Mike Wilson in four rounds in the Hulu Theatre at Madison Square Garden. Uh, we won't talk about what was the nominal main event of that card. Um, on Saturday, Emantis Staniosis remained unbeaten, but had to settle for a no decision after an accidental clash of heads caused his welterweight bout with Luis Calazzo to be stopped in the fourth round. Calazzo, who's now 40 years old, said before the fight it would be his last, despite the inconclusive result. He said he would stick by that after a very good career in which he absolutely made the most of his talents uh, and wound up with a record of 39 and 8 with 20 KOs. Uh, Also on Saturday, in an all-British matchup atop one of Matchroom's fight camp shows, Kid Galahad, which to me will always be a movie with Elvis and a young Charles (laughs) Bronson, took a vacant alphabet strap at featherweight by beating up friend James Jazza Dickens en route to an 11th round stoppage. But the most notable fight of the week was also across the pond. And it was Michael Condon dropping TJ Doherty in the fifth round and winning a unanimous decision to remain undefeated. I'll be honest. I have not always been entirely convinced about Condon as a professional. Had we had a money punch last week, uh, assuming Doherty was the dog, which I'm sure he was, mm-hmm. I would have been looking for some odds on his bringing the upset. Uh, I really felt like this would answer a lot of questions about Condon. I wasn't sure that he would answer them in the affirmative. Uh, it seemed to me like he like he aced a pretty big test here. But what about you? Uh, were you impressed with him here? And is he ready to mix it with the best featherweights and junior featherweights?
0: I was impressed with him at times,
1: which is essentially <laughs> the Michael Conlan
0: story. Michael Conlon, right. impressive at times. Um, he did some good work to the body, nearly had Doheny out of there in the fifth round which would have been bad for me because uh, you mentioned money punch and and betting. I can tell you exactly what the odds on Doheny were to score the upset. I saw him between about three and a half and four to one, and I did think about it, but I didn't do that. The bet that I did make was on the fight to go the distance at minus 166 odds. I thought that was a good price, and I was worried it was going to lose in the fifth round, (laughs) Uh, but it turned out to to, to be a winner thanks to Conlon ultimately not being a great finisher and being Mm. the type who – Flashes good skills, but doesn't really put it all together round after round for an entire fight. This was a good win. Add it to the pile of good wins for Conlon. Mm -hmm. He has yet to bowl me over as a pro. So is he ready to challenge the best? I think the answer is no, not quite. But at the same time, he's probably as ready as he's going to be. He's Mm -hmm. turning 30 in a few months. No sense waiting. He is what he is. And... You know, do I give him much of a chance against the best guys in those divisions? Mr. Gary Russell, Emmanuel <laughs> Navarrete, Mirajan Akhmadaliev, the Fulton Figueroa winner. No, not really. I think he can be competitive with most of those guys, but I don't mm-hmm. think he can win at that level. But I think he's as ready as he'll be. If I'm Conlon's manager, promoter, may as well try to line up a shot. Uh, and I don't view it as throwing him to the Wolves, I view it as taking your shot. You'll be an underdog. Probably lose, but you'll never know if you don't try. The time seems right to gamble and see what happens.
1: Yeah, yeah, that seems reasonable. Um, and look, if anybody wants to go to Belfast to face him, they'll get a good deal of money just from the the gates alone. There, that was a right. terrific looking crowd and a fantastic entrance. So, anyway, it is time for the news. And as I said a moment ago, there weren't many professional bouts of note last week, but there were plenty of amateur fights. Of course, uh, the news main event is that the Olympics have wrapped up and the American men's boxing team was not able to end its now 17-year drought without a gold medal, but they did win three silver medals for their largest total medal haul since 2000, and that team won two silvers and two bronzes. Uh, It was certainly a step in the right direction for U.S. amateur boxing after disappointing results in almost every Olympiad this century. The three silver medalists were featherweight Duke Reagan, uh, lightweight Keyshawn Davis, and super heavyweight Richard Torres Jr. Not bad with only eight men's weight classes these days. Uh, the U.S. women's team did not fare as well. Just one one medal, a bronze for welterweight O'Shea Jones. Uh, Jones excuse me. Uh, the big winner was Cuba, surprise, surprise, with four goals. Uh, and the rest were sprinkled around, including both one men's gold and one women's gold for Great Britain. And uh, that women's champ, Lauren Price, she looks to be the real goods there, by the way. Um, but we are a U.S.-based podcast. The U.S. team gets the headlines here. So, Eric, I know you actually watched a bit of the Olympic boxing. Uh, any thoughts And what this means for the U.S. going forward, both in terms of the amateur outlook and these particular fighters competing as pros.
0: Clearly, this is encouraging for the U.S. amateur system. uh, And a good decision was made to allow fighters who had qualified in 2020, then Mm. turned pro after the games were postponed, but only had a handful of pro fights. Good decision to allow them to keep their spots on the Olympic team. And. They performed well as a whole, and it's encouraging. And, you know, there were no easy paths to gold. Uh, Davis had to get past a Cuban whom he was already 0-3 against. Uh, Torres had to get past a big Klitschko-looking heavyweight who knocked him all the way out two years ago. So three silvers is an excellent haul. And I think with this scoring system, a pro-style scoring system rather Mm -hmm. than the failed system of counting punches— Things are looking up for the Americans. They'll never dominate Olympic boxing like they did in 84. But I would expect sometime in the 2020s, there will be a U.S. male gold medalist. That's my prediction. Um, And in terms of their future as pros, there's some good talent here. Uh, But the guy worth focusing on most is definitely Torres. 22 years old, from California, good-looking, exciting Joe Frazier-like style. First U.S. super heavyweight to medal since Riddick Bowe in 88. They can take their time with him, and Mm -hmm. this guy in like five years could be the biggest star in American boxing. But, uh, you know, Davis, Reagan, Troy Isley, plenty of talent on this team, uh, guys who should do well in the pros. And I have to add that the Olympic boxing is so much more fun to watch now, both Mm -hmm. because of the scoring system, you know, that electronic scoring, as they called it, was draining the life out of the sport, Uh, and also because they ditched the headgear. Um, Yeah, it opens up a chance of somebody getting cut, but it's just so much more pleasing to watch. There were some really entertaining three round fights. Uh, and uh, the next move now is some equality on that front. Take the headgear off the women. Uh, strange that they right. wore the headgear and the men didn't. I guess maybe the Olympics feels mainstream audiences aren't ready to watch women get punched in their headgearless heads. But you know what? The various NBC channels are barely showing any of the boxing anyway, so (laughs) who cares about the audiences? Uh, Women are on almost equal footing now with Olympic boxing. They have five divisions to eight for the men. Let's put them on equal ground with regard to headgear as well. And uh, that's my analysis after watching like five total Olympic boxing matches (laughs) over the last two weeks. (laughs) Um, On the news undercard, we again check in with the Canelo Alvarez Next Fight saga and after some chatter about negotiations for a catchweight with dimitri bivol on friday eddie hearn tweeted that he'd spoken with canelo and he shifted his focus to november with caleb plant once again the primary target according to lance pugmeyer but the september 18th dream the mexican independence weekend dream is dead Uh, one noteworthy fight was agreed to last week but not formally announced because they don't have a date yet but sometime in october or november We'll see an excellent 130-pound fight between Shakur Stevenson and Jamel Herring. Showtime announced the undercard for the August 29th Jake Paul-Tyron Woodley pay-per-view, and it will feature the U.S. debut of heavyweight Daniel Dubois taking on Joe Cusimano. The other bouts are Tyson Fury's half-brother Tommy Fury meeting MMA fighter Anthony Taylor in a six-rounder, and two fights we mentioned on a previous podcast, Ivan Baranchik versus Montana Love and Amanda Serrano versus Yamaleth Mercado. Uh, Junior welterweight champ Josh Taylor's next fight has been announced. He'll face unbeaten Jack Catterall on December 18th in Glasgow, Scotland. And one piece of news that doesn't involve the signing of a fight, the WBC. Uh, Yes, they've earned the right for me to spell out their (laughs) name this time. The WBC is requiring that all officials for all WBC sanctioned fights must show proof of COVID vaccination to work the fight cards. Uh, That said, the WBC also praised and visited and gave an honorary belt to texas governor greg abbott this week so (laughs) screw the wbc they obviously don't believe that much in covid safety nor in democracy or voting rights uh karen either rant or don't about that topic and uh, anything to say about any of those
1: fights coming up so I must admit, I'm getting I'm getting tired of my rants on this topic, and I'm sure listeners <laughs> are too. That said, yes, I will say good for the WBC for their stance regarding officials, and that's what it's going to come down to. It's going to be private enterprise, um, um putting in these mandates mm-hmm. uh, because clearly, uh, state governments uh, where it needs to be done aren't going to do it. Um, against that, why the hell would you give? anybody related to any kind of official oversight of boxing in Texas, any kind of reward or recognition. <laughs> yeah. Set aside the bigger issues at play and the Abbott is a giant douche canoe. I mean, just from a purely <laughs> boxing perspective, you know, that's dubious right there. But anyway, what do you say? That's It's it's a, an alphabet belt. It's that particular alphabet group. So anyway, as for the other news, uh, interesting that the plant's still in play for Canelo. It feels odd, right, that Team Canelo... Of all people who always seem like the most together and professional uh, of of folks couldn't get a deal over the line in time for Mexican Independence Day, but then decide to go back to get something done in November. Obviously, when it initially collapsed, there was all kinds of different types of blame game going on, but... One suspect there's an element here, of, and correct me as the expert if I'm wrong about this, but you don't ever want to play poker with someone who is insanely rich when you desperately need to find your rent money, um, <laughs> right? Uh, yes yes, yes and yes
0: and no. Yes and no. Okay. I'll say uh, that it's sometimes a problem because they're obviously unafraid to make moves. But uh, if the cards are falling your way, the fact that they're unafraid to make moves <laughs> can be great. You can win a lot of money from a rich person who's just given it away. So well, yes and no.
1: Maybe there's an element of that going on here. You know, it's like when it comes to negotiating with Canelo, good luck playing hardball because whoever you are, you need him more than he needs you. Um, Against that, maybe it's also a case that Team Canelo also realizes that when you bet $40 million on every hand and then demand all the cards, uh, you can end up overplaying that hand a little. So I don't know. We'll see. It feels like somehow or another, whatever the issues were there, um, obviously they're trying to resolve that. um, Love Stevenson Herring. Of course, I mean, love Stevenson-Hering. Yes. Uh, can barely wait for that fight. Uh, th- that will be something to watch. Uh, I quite like the way the, the Paul Woodley undercard is shaping up. Uh, it looks a bit long, but fortunately, I will be in Alaska, four hours behind the East Coast, <laughs> and thus able to watch it all and podcast with you and still be in bed by 10. Don't be too jealous. I am jealous. <laughs> Damn you, Kieran Moe. <laughs> all right. We conclude this week with a top five challenge. It is my turn to pose one for you, Eric. And it relates to our guest today. I asked him at the end of the interview whether he and his brothers all wanted to be one of the great boxing families. And that's this week's challenge. Boxing's best in-ring families. It can be Mm. brothers. It can be fathers and sons. It can be fathers and daughters or sisters. All of those involved have to have been professional fighters. So Jack Mosley and Shane Mosley don't count, for example. Uh, Although... If one family member, if after they've all been boxes, one family member then becomes another family member's corner person, that's fine. That isn't disqualifying. Right. Uh, the families can be as big as you want. Two brothers or a father and son and two brothers, if you like. Um, whatever, And whether having, say, more boxing family members makes that family a better or more successful one is up to you to decide. It's also up to you whether one supremely successful family member carries the, the rest like there's right. a is Canelo enough to make the Alvarez boxing family one of the very best uh that's sort of up to you is Julio Sr. enough to make up for Julio Jr. and Omar <laughs> to make up, up for I like up, the way you phrased uh, that. up to you um I'll bet you can come up with a list of 20 or more without even thinking about it yeah. I think the challenge here will be then you suddenly remember another 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, the challenge is going to be narrowing down the list um, because it has the potential to be long and deciding on the order. I w- almost did Best Boxing Brothers, but I thought that was going to be a wee bit too easy. So I think boxing families makes it a bit more challenging. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I like this. I guess, uh, could it extend? Does it have to be a direct family member as in brother, brother, father, daughter, father, son, etc.? or would a a gra- I'm not I don't know that I have examples of this but like a a, a grandfather grandson or oh, a Oh that's perfectly reasonable. Yeah. Okay yeah. cuz oh, you know not that they would make the list but like Israel Vasquez and Damien Vasquez who we talked about right. uncle nephew do, no, we, that's fine. do we want that's we fine. want to go that's as far totally as fine. any direct uh, as long as you're blood relatives it counts. Yes.
1: Okay. Yes, that's fine. Yes.
0: Okay. Uh this is interesting and yeah I think you're absolutely right that the big challenge is not going to be st- Coming up with with a few names, uh, I'll come up with plenty of names and then paring it down and figuring out how to rank them is going to be uh, an interesting challenge because you're, you're right. I've got about I've got about eight families that popped into my head before you finished <laughs> explaining the assignment.
1: Yes. And we're going to go through it. We're each going to have our list. We're going to go through it and we'll post the podcast and someone on Twitter will point out a really obvious couple that we've missed. You know it's going to be one of those.
0: There's a good chance of that. Um, but, you know, look, there's uh, we can't include everyone. And, That's right. Uh, I'll, I'll say right now, if uh, Gary Antonio Russell is listening all the way to the end too early in you guys careers, uh, I don't think the Russells are making the top five. You might get a mention, but uh, there right. there are some really good ones.
1: It's going to be a tough top five to crack. Yes, indeed. Uh, that will do it. For this week's episode of Showtime Boxing, we're asking him of any. Eric has to go away and start work on his top five list. Immediately. Uh, Exactly. Uh, Our thanks again to Gary Antonio Russell for joining us. And again, thank you, Antonio, for just a terrific interview. Uh, We will be back on Friday with a Money Punch mini podcast and then a regular episode to follow next Monday with our post-fight analysis, as well as a preview of the Errol Spence-Manny Pacquiao fight that is almost upon us. Until then, thank you for listening. Be safe, be kind. And be well.